Amen. I hope you have your Bible open and your seatbelt fastened because we are in uh, chapter 18 of Revelation. Some time ago, we handed out this handy dandy little piece of paper giving you a summary of the book of Revelation. And it acts like a little roadmap, if you will. And it takes you through pre-tribulation, tribulation, and post-tribulation, all of the events of the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. And we are coming right near the end here of the tribulation. So you can see that we're on 17 and 18, Mystery Babylon and its destruction, after which we get into chapter 19, which includes Armageddon, and Christ's return, and the judgment of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And so that's a handy piece of paper to have. Listen, um, last week, it was announced that President Trump had successfully brokered a peace plan, a peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. Now, you're probably aware of that. Well, I'll tell you, when uh, news of that broke, I nearly fell out of my chair when I, I saw that, because that's a significant event. Now, I must hasten to say this is not the signing of the seven-year peace treaty, the big event that we're waiting for. It's not that, but it is a significant step in that direction, and it could evolve into that. In fact, Saudi Arabia shortly after said that they won't make peace with Israel without some peace plan for the Palestinians. All right. Well, this week, for the first time, Israel has agreed to a map of a Palestinian state. Now, it's still on the table, and it all has to be agreed to, but Israel here is agreeing to a two-state nation. Now, this is exciting, folks. This is happening right before our very eyes. And uh, we are excited as to what might come next. Now, last Wednesday, we studied the destruction of Babylon, part one. And we looked in chapter 18 at the first, five, uh, sorry, the first uh, nine, is it? Yeah, no, the first eight verses. The first eight verses we're picking up here in verse nine tonight. And we looked at Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. Makes mention of two, two falls here. Possibly, it's a reference to chapter 17, <clears throat> what appears to be the religious side of Babylon the Great. And now chapter 18, sort of the commercial. We could throw the political in there too, but the commercial side of Babylon the Great. So Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. We're talking here total destruction, annihilation. And it says in verse 3 that the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And we're going to see all that go up in smoke tonight. This fornication appears to be not a physical thing, but more of a, a spiritual thing. And it seems like it's going to tie in somehow with the mark of the beast, the worship of the Antichrist, the rejection, the total rejection of God, 
Ah, um, that, that is a horrible, horrible thing that's going to happen. Tonight, we're going to look at this total destruction of commercial Babylon. Now, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as we bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a book that tells us the end from the beginning. No Christian, no Bible believer, no saved person has an excuse. Father, we know what's going to be happening to this world. Because of that, oh, we should tread lightly in this world. We should keep our eyes fixed upon the coming of Jesus. We should not be putting our roots down deeply. Help us not to love the world or the things of the world. Now, Father, please speak with our hearts tonight. Uh, what we're about to see is more horrific than any Hollywood movie ever made. And they, they can make some horrific stuff, some, some terrible stuff. What we're going to see tonight in your book, Dear Heavenly Father, it surpasses all of that. And so please get a hold of our hearts and help us as your people to walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. We see here that the kings of the earth the kings, the ones in charge of the political dominions there around the world, the kings of the earth are in great throes of agony and weeping and lamentation. They're beside themselves with grief. Let's look at it. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, the her is Babylon the great, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Now, it suggests that the smoke is so enormous, so incredible, it's bigger than anything that anyone has ever seen. There's been a lot of destruction in the world over the years. Forest fires can consume hundreds, thousands of hectares of 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 woodland and and the smoke rises up it was just a couple of years ago i believe it was over in greenland or iceland i think it was greenland where they had this huge fire the plume of smoke actually caused for the planes to stop flying it was that bad this is worse this is going to be worse than that verse 10 standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Now here, the kings of the earth, quite possibly the same kings that destroyed religious Babylon in chapter 17. We examined that, we looked at all that. Quite possibly the same crowd of kings here. What do you call a, a group of kings? Is it a, a, a gaggle of kings? A, a, a batch? A group? Uh, there must be some term they have hmm, for a, a flock of kings. There's got to be a proper term for it. I don't know what it is. We'll have to look that one up. If you know, you can email in or send in, send in what, you, what you think they should be called. But the kings who destroyed the religious aspect 
that one world church kind of, that one world religion that's going to be part of Babylon. And uh, yeah, the Pope may be part of that. We don't know, but it sure seems likely. Anyhow, the ten kings are going to destroy all of that. And now, quite likely, these are the same group, group of kings, group of kings, trying to come up with a name for the kings. I, uh, so many things to think about. And so here, probably this same, the same ones who destroyed religious Babylon in chapter 17 are now beside themselves with grief. Whereas in chapter 17, they were throwing a party. They were rejoicing because they destroyed this religious aspect. Get the religion out of here. Now they're weeping. Now they're wailing. Now they're, they're beating their chest, maybe tearing their regal robes. They're weeping and they're lamenting. Why? Why? Why are the kings mourning like this? It's because of the riches and the quality of goods that they would get out of Babylon the Great. Notice these words here in verse 9. Lived deliciously with her. Woo! They lived it up. They had the best of the best of the best. Everything that the world could possibly offer, the finest of the fine, was theirs to be, to be taken. And they lived it up. They took advantage of everything they possibly could, these kings. And now, all of a sudden, you see in the end of verse 9, they see the smoke of, of great Babylon ascending. Sort of reminds you almost a little bit of when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. And in just a, a moment of time, it seemed, those great cities... Probably we could liken them to a combination of all of the, the great cities of the world with all of their sin and wickedness. And some cities are really known for their sin and their wickedness and their red light districts and their, their opium dens and their, uh, their lotteries and, and, and casinos and things. And this is the type of, of towns this, that would fit right in with Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed them because of their wickedness had finally reached the stench of those cities had finally reached up to, to heaven and to God's nostrils. And he said, enough. Driving into church this morning, my wife and I, we drove right past a squashed skunk on the road. And, uh, I saw that and I thought, oh no, here we go. And sure enough, oh, the air was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Oh, the smell of a dead skunk. Now, maybe some people like the smell. I don't know, but I'm one of those many, many who do not like the smell of skunk. And we had to hold our nose and get past that. Well, the stench of Sodom and Gomorrah finally reached God and God sent fire and brimstone to destroy it. The stench of Babylon the Great will finally reach, it'll culminate and reach heaven and God will destroy it. And the smoke will be bigger than anything anyone's ever seen. Apparently the kings are going to see it. 
Now, that might be through satellite TV and the Internet, or it might also be some kind of plumage of, of smoke, maybe a combination of, of the two. I'm not sure. Now, here's something interesting in verse 10. It says that these 10 kings, now remember these 10 kings, they were some of the most powerful men of politics and military might. And these, this flock, this group of 10 kings, as I say, some of the most powerful in the world, can't do a thing to help. Absolutely helpless. Verse 10, standing afar off. That's what it says. For the fear of her torment. They could do nothing to stop the destruction. They could do nothing to run in and help. They, they, they couldn't even hold a fire hose to help, help stop the fire. They, nothing. They could do absolutely nothing. And the reason is for the fear of her torment. Now, what could that be? Don't know. We could speculate. Perhaps when God sends some kind of destruction upon Babylon the Great, there's going to be some sort of nuclear explosion, reaction or something. And no one wants to be around that. You want to stay as far away from that as possible. Well, we don't know if there's going to be nuclear. Maybe there's going to be a lot of intense heat there. But interesting that it says in one hour. Now, that's not much time to destroy Babylon the Great. We're talking more than a firecracker here. We're talking about something that is so incredibly big that it's going to destroy all of Babylon the Great. What is Babylon the Great? Well, it's some kind of combination of religion, commerce, and politics sort of an unholy trinity mixed into one. Is it a single city? Is it a group of cities? Babylon of old, it was known as a city, but it was also known as a group of cities. So is Babylon just a single city or is it perhaps a nation, a group of cities? We don't know. But the, it's nothing for God to destroy it in one hour. You know what? God created out of nothing, out of nothing, God created all of the universe and the stars and planets, the sun, this world, and all that's in it. He did that in six days. I think God could destroy Babylon the Great in one hour, whether he uses nuclear power or not. And maybe he will. Who knows? That, ex that explosion that happened in Beirut was horrible, terrible. Some 150 people lost their lives and thousands were injured and some 300,000 are homeless. And they, they talk in terms of, of multiple billions of dollars of damage. I read one news account said it could be as high as $15 billion in damage. That poor nation, they've been shaken to the bone by that one explosion. It wasn't a nuclear bomb either. It was almost 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate left sitting there in the port. Now, there's a lot of uh, speculation as to what caused it. I don't know. You don't know either. We'll just have to maybe wait and see. Maybe we'll learn. Maybe we won't learn. But it doesn't really matter.
We need to be praying for those folks and helping out. Now, this city, this Babylon the Great is going to be destroyed. And one hour, perhaps hundreds of millions of people are going to lose their lives in that one hour. Now, previously, if you will remember, God told his people to come out, to come out of her, come out of her, my people. This is what God was, was telling them in, in, the, in the previous chapter. Come out of them, my people. Come out of them. Um, we, we take it from that, that we ought not to be part of the world system. We're in the world. Yes, we are. We're living and breathing. But we, not, we should not be part of the world's way of thinking and living and acting. And the, the ways of the world are generally opposite of the ways of God. The world cannot live by faith. It can only live by sight. That's all the world can do. And we, us believers, we're called upon to live by faith, not by sight. The things you see, boy, they're temporal. The things you don't see, those are eternal. We cannot please God by living by sight. We please God by faith. By living by faith. Very important lesson here for us folks. Now. Let's move on here. We've just seen the kings and the earth. Kings of the earth. They're in total agony. Now we come to verse 11. To about 17. First part of verse 17. And we find now the merchants. Not just the kings. But now the businessmen. The merchants of the earth. Are also in agony. Great agony. Let's look at it. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise. Watch this. This is incredible. You don't see this kind of detailed description of wealth and riches. You don't normally see this in scripture. Usually it says a wealthy man or a man of great wealth or something. But this is a catalog of all of the wealthy things that were in Babylon. And, and probably they left a bunch out too. So it says the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner of vessels, ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. This is quite something here. Notice this incredibly detailed description of the commercial goods available in Babylon. But notice the end of verse 13. It says, and slaves and souls of men. I suggest to you, this is human slavery. Human slavery. Boy, <laughs> you know, uh, a society can have all of the gold and silver and frankincense it wants. But when it gets involved with buying and selling of human beings, I think it is really disgusting in the eyes and mind of God. It's an abomination, folks. It's going to happen. I mean, it's happening in the world today. We know that. Human, human trafficking is still a, a thriving business, even here in Canada. 
It's happening. Human trafficking is happening on a big scale right under our noses here in Canada, here in the greater Vancouver uh, uh, area, in Toronto, Montreal, and in other places as well. Human trafficking. It's a very real problem. And it's going to be big business in Babylon the Great. You see, now how can that be? Folks, when the rapture happens, Christians are taken away, sin is let loose. And the wickedness of man is going to, it, they're going to say, okay, we've got license to sin now. We can do whatever we want. And it's going to happen. Laws are going to change. Things that, that and listen, you know this is true. Our society today, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, things that were, were never heard of, totally illegal. Now, today, they're not only legal, but they're, they're, they're taking great pleasure. They're promoted. There's great pride, if you will. I use that word carefully. There's great pride in some of the, the wickedness of man today. It's, now, multiply that by 10. It'll be 10 times worse in the tribulation. The wickedness of men. And so they're going to be involved in human slavery. But here we're learning that all of the great merchant businessmen. And in verse 23, actually, they're called the great men of the earth. They're mourning and they're in agony here. Look at verse uh, 14. And the fruits uh, that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. And so all of the great merchant men of the world are in great agony. You say, why, why, why? It, because in verse 15, they were made rich because of Babylon the great. Folks, that goes right back to the love of money. The love of money. Verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. Even the businessmen. Now the kings knew it. I'm sorry, folks. We've got a fly in here. It's buzzing around my head. <laughs> Boy, the devil must be upset with this preaching. <laughs> he sent in his... He's the Lord of the flies, you know, the devil is. <laughs> He's Beelzebub. He sent one of his little flies here. Okay, well, it seems to be gone now. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Verse 17, even the merchant men realize that in one hour, Babylon is destroyed. The kings of the earth, the most powerful political military men, the kings, they realized in one hour, smash, Babylon is gone. Now the great merchant men of the world they're in horror. They're in shock. Let me ask you, if Babylon the Great has got everything, everything in it, and it's going up in smoke, what's going to happen to Amazon.com? What's going to happen to all that stuff that they traffic in and merchandise in? What's going to happen to some of these other things like Banggood and Wish? What's going to happen to them? Well, your guess is as good as mine. But both the kings and the powerful businessmen must stand afar off. Why? For the fear of her torment. There's something about the destruction of Babylon the Great that will prevent the rescuers from running in there. 
They won't be able to run in there with their fire hoses and their ladders and their axes and picks. They won't be able to get in there because there's something about how God is going to totally destroy Babylon that no one will be able to go near. And here the thing is, they'll have houses, mansions in there. They'll have uh, jobs, their place of employment. They'll have families in there. They'll have friends in there. They'll have their wealth in there. All of their money in their banks and so on. Whoosh, up it goes. Well, we need to move on here. Verse 17, we'll say B, the letter B, after the first sentence there, to about verse 19, it tells us that the ship owners in the shipping businesses are also in great agony. All right, look at verse 17, the second sentence, and every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness for in one hour. Look at that. Three times for in one hour is she made desolate. What's going to happen to FedEx? They've got huge shipping containers. What's going to happen to UPS? What's going to happen to the, the China shipping container company? There's so many hundreds of billions of dollars of trade that goes on. Probably it's pushing trillions. I just saw in the news today where the stock of Apple has now surpassed $2 trillion in value. The first company in history to have a stock market value, total value of in excess of $2 trillion. <laughs> They tell me that's a lot of money. What's going to happen to these transportation companies that ship by sea? Well, they're up the creek. Pardon the pun. You see, for in one hour is she made desolate. The ship owners also know that in one hour, it's all it took one hour to destroy Babylon. Why were these men in such agony? Here's why, notice the words, wherein all were made rich that had ships. It goes right back to the money. Follow the money, folks. Follow the money. The kings, the merchants, the ship owners were all in a frenzied state of agony and madness. You say, why can't they just let it go? Why are they beating themselves silly? Why are they, they insane with, with agony and weeping? Can't they get these things back? Wasn't all this stuff insured? Well, apparently not. Apparently, I mean, they lost everything. They lost big. They lost it all. The whole, the whole shamali there went up in smoke. They can't get it back. You see, verse 14, it says... Uh, 
that, that all the things that are dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. Their whole world is gone, gone up in smoke, never to return. Homes, families, but especially the wealth, gone, gone, gone. Quickly, verses 20 and 21 says that some people are actually going to rejoice. Imagine that. Well, let's look at it. Verse 20, rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So the residents of heaven are going to be happy. They're told to rejoice because of Babylon's destruction. Why would God tell the people of heaven to get happy and rejoice? Here's why. Because of the extreme, extreme wickedness of Babylon. Their wickedness is probably has surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah. Every possible abominable thing, every possible hellish thing imaginable will be freely bought and sold in Babylon of the future. Now, by the way, recently the news reported of a man named Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein's evil world. And the man was a billionaire, but he created an evil world and it involved forcing underage girls into sexual sins with many wealthy and powerful people. Apparently Epstein is dead. But we rejoice that his empire has come crashing down. We rejoice in that. For this we are happy. Now verse 21 describes the violence of Babylon's destruction. And it's like this great mighty angel took a huge millstone. Those things are made out of, of rock, out of stone. And he cast it with force, boom, into the ocean. That would have would have made a huge impact. Now, this appears to be a quote almost from Jeremiah 51, verse 64. Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. Now, quickly, we come to the end. Verses 22 to 24, it describes the loss of all the pleasant things found in Babylon. Look at it. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries, the Babylon sorceries, were all nations deceived. These are things that we might consider fine and good. All of the nice things, nicely made, handcrafted things. Many of us today may even own some of these similar things in our homes. And in themselves, there's nothing wrong with these nice things. But God is saying they're all gone. And in verse 23, he is accusing Babylon of sorceries. This may refer to the political arts. Um, we'll call it dirty, dirty politics uh, or state tricks or counterfeit miracles, perhaps. 
and deceptive maneuvers of every kind are to be wrapped up in this word sorceries. And now watch verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Babylon is a murderer. She's a murderer. Perhaps every Christian who refused the 666 was deported off to Babylon where they were murdered. Perhaps hundreds of millions of believers went home to heaven from Babylon being shot or had their head removed or maybe worse, something perhaps even worse. I don't know. But Babylon is probably where they will execute hundreds of millions of future believers in Jesus Christ in the tribulation. Folks, we got to wrap things up here. What are we saying? First John chapter two, verse 15 tells us love, not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's very clear for us today. We must ask ourselves, how deeply are we involved with the world? How much do we really love the world and the things of the world? That's a good question. Are we pressing our children to follow closely in the footsteps of the world? Are we pushing our children in the direction? Would they fit right into the system of Babylon the Great? Are we teaching our children to trust in God? Or are we teaching them to trust in riches? Are we showing them by example that we can't trust God for, to, to look after us financially? So we have to go out and buy lotto tickets. Are we teaching our, our, our children to trust God? Are we ourselves walking with the Lord so that they will follow in our footsteps and follow the Lord? Are we reminding the children that Jesus may come back any day? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The way the world is looking these days, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus comes back before you know it. And then... Whose will those things be that we spent all that time gathering and spent all that money on who will own them? Let's bow in prayer. Dear heavenly father, teach us again and again, over and over every day to be living for Jesus. Bless your people. I pray. And I thank you so much for them. And I love them. They are on my heart daily. And I pray you would bless your people with increased faith. And Lord, have thine own way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now at this time, I'd like to encourage you, if you would go to the donation page, perhaps you might consider giving a donation to the building fund. doesn't have to be a big one, but give something to the building fund. Show your faith, give by faith, and help us to do something great for God. God bless you as you do.